We're actually starting our fall focus this uh, week, so if this is your first week with us in a while, you've come at the right time, and we're going to talk about the importance this fall of finding balance in an age of extremes. I think when I was a younger man, I had a tendency to focus on one thing at a time and just, just be all obsessed about one thing and, and, and try to organize my life around one thing. But I realized that you ended up going from thing to thing to thing. And really, growth and stability and maturity and what we want to become is people who are able to balance multiple things at, at the same time. And so... In the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at some of the truths and some of the dynamics that we need to work to find balance with in our lives as we go. And today, what we're going to talk about is the importance of the knowledge of God and how that relates to our knowledge of ourself, our self-awareness. And our text is from Jeremiah chapter 9. This is what Jeremiah says. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise boast of their wisdom, or the strong boast of their strength, or the rich boast of their riches. But let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me. I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth, for in these I delight, declares the Lord. So today... I want to talk about this dynamic of knowing God and why knowing God above all else is a thing that we need to boast in. But if we know God at the same time, we're going to grow. When we truly know God, not just know about God, but grow in our relationship with God, we're going to grow in our self-awareness simultaneously. About uh, 500 years ago, the noted pop psychologist John Calvin wrote this in his Institutes. He said... Our wisdom, insofar as it ought to be deemed true and solid wisdom, consists almost entirely of just two parts, the knowledge of God and of ourselves. But these are connected together by many ties, and it's not easy to figure out which of the two proceeds and gives birth to the other. So what he's saying here is there's two aspects to true wisdom, knowing ourself and knowing God, and the two are related. You know, you can learn a lot about God in the books and, or theology and things like that, but to truly have a relationship with God, it requires you to get deeper insight into who you are and what it is God is doing in your life. So first, let me just focus in a little bit about what it means to know ourselves. Jeremiah sums it up with a, sort of a danger, a warning here. He says, let not the wise boast of their wisdom, or the strong boast of their strength, or the rich boast in their riches. And I think to, to sum up what he's saying here is to know yourself is to know that your strengths are actually also your greatest weakness. Because every strength that you have as a person come give contains in it also a weakness that you've got to be aware of. Or another way of putting it is your greatest gifts are also your greatest liabilities because the gifts that God gives us always come with an equal and opposite liability that we have to be aware of or we're going to be tripped up. Another way of putting this is if you tell me what your strengths and your talents are, I'll be able to tell you where you're going to be vulnerable in life or where you're probably going to crash and burn. If you tell me what your 
gifts are, what you think your gifts are, I'll tell you what I think your liabilities are going to be in life. Because that's part of being human. Our strengths come with weaknesses. Our gifts come with liabilities. And, and you know, the thing I've noticed about myself and about others is the area of our weakness or our struggle is probably not the area where we're going to ruin ourselves. And it's not the area where we're going to devastate ourselves. Because if you're well aware of a weakness, you have a weakness, maybe a, a weakness in your health, a weakness in, in the way you see the world, a weakness in your physical abilities or your your personal abilities in some area, you're probably well aware of that, and so you work extra hard to compensate for that weakness, and you, you figure out ways to work around that weakness. But your strengths are things that you think you can that you think you can always pull out and use in every situation. It's kind of like, you know, when you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. You know, if you have a lot of money, every problem you have can be solved with money. If you're a charming person, then every problem you find yourself in, you can talk your way out of. Every, every, when, when we have a, when we're well aware of our strength, we think that every issue we have is something that we can solve if we just ex bring to bear the, the, the power of our strength, whatever that might be. And, and one of the things that you notice if you follow public figures or you just follow the news or, or particular celebrities, uh, often people rise to positions of prominence or fame or, or success because of a very particular strength that they have. And then if you kind of watch their careers and you follow their careers, what often happens is the very strength that they had becomes something that they bank, that they overdraw on and it ends up destroying their life. It ends up resulting in their uh, humiliation or the strength proves not adequate to build a whole life on and because that's all they have, it ends up, their, their life ends up falling apart. And I mean, just an obvious example of this is someone who's extremely athletic might make a make a name for themselves as an athlete in one discipline or another, but then as soon as they slow down a little bit, as soon as they lose a step, they get cut from the team, and then it's like, what, what are we going to do now? What is our next move? Because the only thing they had developed in their life was this particular strength, and as soon as that's taken away from them, they're in trouble. I had a colleague who was particularly good with words, and he just had, had an intellect and an insight and a, a way of putting things that was, that was unusual, and, and he'd also, also had a tendency to say kind of daring things, like you'd go on his Twitter or you'd see his blog, and you're like, did he really say that? Oh, he really did say that. And, and uh, you know, when someone's like this, and especially in our media age, you, you, start, you, you start wanting to say something every every day that's going to get a lot of attention that people are going to be talking about that will attract a lot of likes. And uh, if, if you make your reputation by saying daring things or provocative things, pretty soon you're going to be saying offensive things. And so what happened to this guy was unusually brilliant, unusually articulate, unusually pithy in his, his use of words is in his desire to continue to grab attention he said a few things that were unusually inappropriate, and, it, and you know, there's no forgiveness in our world now, so you say those things once, and it, it's the end of your career. It's the end of your prominence, because people just don't give you a break. But we all 
do this. We all bank on our strengths, and then what happens is our strength becomes our liability. Because, because the very thing that you're boasting in, the very thing you're trusting in, is the area in your life that you're trying to use to make yourself independent of God, to, make, to put yourself into a position where you don't have to surrender to God, to put yourself into a position where you don't have to yield to God, and to put yourself into a position where you don't have to trust God because you can trust your own abilities, you can trust your own wisdom, you can trust your own power, you can trust your own wealth or whatever it is. And so that's the very area where you're going to have problems. And, but we all want to do this. We don't want to find a substitute for depending on the grace of God in our life. Don't you think? We all want to find an alternative to depending on the mercy of God in our life. David Foster Wallace describes the, the human condition this way. If you worship money and things, if that's where you tap real meaning in life, then you'll never have enough. It's the truth. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure, and you'll always feel ugly. Worship power, and you'll end up feeling weak and afraid, and you'll need even more power over others to numb your own fear. When you worship your intellect, being seen as smart, you'll end up feeling stupid, a fraud, and always on the verge of being exposed. But the insidious things about all these forms of worship is, that, is not that they're evil or sinful, it's that they're unconscious, they're just our default settings. As Jeremiah says, as Jeremiah warns, let not the rich boast in his riches, not, let not the wise boast in their wisdom, let not the powerful or the strong boast in their strength, because that's what you're going to be tempted to do, but instead you need to learn to boast in the Lord. So when we know ourselves, we know our tendency to to put our trust in our strength instead of putting our trust in God. But true wisdom, true, true wisdom comes when we can look at ourselves and be pointed to God. Calvin describes it this way. Again, continuing what he says, he says, in the first place, no man can survey himself without turning his thoughts toward God, the, the God in whom he lives and moves, because it's obvious that the endowments which we possess cannot possibly be from ourselves. No, our very being is nothing other than subsistence in God alone, and the blessings we have are like streams that lead us to the source, that lead us to the fountain. So what... Calvin is saying is if you look at yourself and you look at the strengths that you do have, you look at the gifts that you do have, you look at the talents that you do have, you look at the resources that you do have, what that ought to do is point you to God. That ought to make you grateful to God. That ought to make you worship God. It ought to make you thankful to God. Now, Calvin assumes that this is going to be the default setting of our hearts because 500 years ago, everybody believed in God and they looked at everything in terms of God. Calvin didn't really anticipate the secular age that we live in where we, we've managed to, to develop a whole way of seeing the world that has nothing to do with God and a whole plausibility structure that takes God out of the picture. But what he would say is, you know, as, as someone has said, the, the, the challenge in our age is that the self-made person tends to give all of the credit to their maker. 
Have you known anyone like that, someone who was self-made and took all of the credit? But, but logic tells us and just life tells us that the abilities you have, you had nothing to do with. Those are gifts that you were endowed with at birth. The opportunities you have are things that created, that other people created for you, your health and your strength. And all of these things are gifts that you've been given, even the ability to work, even the ability to accomplish things. All of these are gifts from God. And if we think about it for a moment, all of those things should point us back to God, to be thankful to him and to, and to return praise to him. And that's the call of self-knowledge, to get to a place where we recognize the gifts that we have and we're grateful to God for them. We recognize the challenges we face and we ask God for help with those things. Because then rather than, than being proud or boastful about our gifts and our strengths, we'll be humbled and grateful for those things and will and those things will point us back to God because God's gifts shouldn't make us independent or autonomous towards God but they should make us feel gratitude and a sense of stewardship towards God and that's that's the the challenge of real self-awareness to recognize the gifts that you do have to recognize the abilities that you do have and and the graces that God has given you as things that you can be thankful for, things that you can be humbled by, and things that are, that are stored to you for you to use for his purpose as he calls you. So the question for all of us, if you're self-aware, you look at your life and you look at the good things, and rather than being proud, you become humble and you can give thanks for them. Give thanks to God for the gifts that he has given you and to recognize that all of your gifts and talents and strengths and opportunities are are yours because of the generosity of God to you. So if you know yourself, you start to see that your gifts are actually your liabilities, but your gifts are also gifts that you should be thankful to God for. And then Calvin goes on to say, he says, here again, the good which resides in God becomes more apparent from our poverty as well. In particular, when we find ourselves falling into miserable ruin, that can compel us to turn our eyes upward, that being aroused by fear, we might learn ultimate humility. If you notice, sometimes God lets our life get really hard and painful. Any of you been there? Any of you ex experienced that? And we wonder sometimes, why does God let me fail? Why does God let me struggle? Why does God cause this anguish in my life? And one of the reasons for that is he uses our struggles, he uses our hardship, he uses the anguish in our life to draw us back to him, to draw us closer to him, to remind us that we don't stand on our own, that we can't be autonomous and independent, and we do need to call out to him for help and for grace. I mean, I don't know about you, but I, I try to, because I'm a pastor, I try to say my prayers every day. And probably some of you are like that. But then sometimes something really bad happens, or I'm feeling really desperate, or something really difficult is being faced. And when that happens, then you really pray. Do you know the difference? You know the difference between just saying your prayers and really praying? And sometimes I think then I find myself praying like that, and I'm like, well, I guess God is letting all this happen because I haven't really prayed in a while, and he wants me to really pray. And so 
So God lets challenges happen so that we'll reach out to him and find him. Sometimes his challenges and the struggles that we have in life are just God's tool to make us call out to him. And he lets us hit rock bottom so we'll look up to him. I I think one of the classic models in our day and age for a lot of people is the whole 12-step model. Because how does that work? If you're not familiar with it, the first step is to admit that you're powerless over your challenges, that, that your life has become unmanageable. And then admitting that, come to believe that God himself can restore you to sanity and that God himself can help you manage your life. And then the third step is to make a decision to surrender your will and to turn your life over to God. See, what brings us to a place where we're willing to surrender our life to God? It's when our life becomes unmanageable and we realize we can't fix it ourselves, and we realize we need something outside of ourselves to come in. And, you know, whether that's for some people that, that substance abuse, for some people it's other compulsions, for some people it's just coming to the end of whatever strength or ability they had that they thought they could build their life on that God ta- takes away from them. You know, there's a sense in which I think what Jeremiah is saying here is we're all addicted to something. We're all going to find something that we can depend on other than God. And, And the challenge for all of us is to let that thing go and to put our trust in God and in him alone. You know, and when God is merciful to us in our addiction, when God is merciful to us in our straying, when God is merciful to us, in our failure. He, he lets us hit rock bottom, so we'll look up to him again and call out to him for help. And that's, that's, that's what the invitation of Jeremiah chapter 9 is all about. He says, let the one who boasts, boasts only about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth, for in these I delight, says the Lord. He says, there is something you can boast in, Jeremiah says, boast in me, boast in knowing me, boast in the fact that you belong to me, boast in the fact that you have a relationship with me. You know, the reason our strengths betray us, the reason God lets our strengths betray us is so that we'll find true strength in him. The reason God lets our wisdom betray us is so that we'll surrender to his wisdom for our lives. The reason God lets even our wealth let us down is so that when we're broken, broken, we'll put our trust in him alone and bank on him alone. So we endure these difficulties. They bring us to the end of ourselves, and then they force us to look back to him. And what the Bible says here is the invitation is not just to look to God as the dispenser of good things, but to look to God and to know him, to have a relationship with him. And you've got to understand, in the, in the broad spectrum of uh, world religions, one of the amazing things about the Judeo-Christian presentation of God is that he doesn't just demand that we worship him or that we sacrifice to him or that we obey him or we do things for him, but he invites us into a relationship with him. In the Old Testament and in the New Testament, the call of God is for us to come into a relationship with him, to know him like friends know each other, like a husband and wife know each other. He wants us to know him. 
And, uh, you know, and this, is, this is why Jesus came as well. In John 17, Jesus says, This is eternal life, that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. The whole reason Jesus came into the world was to restore that broken relationship and invite us in, back into fellowship with God, back into community with God. You know, a lot, a lot of times, some people have a tendency to, to replace doing things for God to having a relationship with God, or knowing about God to knowing God, or, or, or just simply uh, worshiping God for having a real relationship with God. But the essence of the Christian life, the essence of the call of the gospel is for us to love God, for us to re-identify ourselves as children of God, to re-identify ourselves as those who are brothers of our Lord Jesus Christ, and that we belong to him. You know, you can know about God if you read a couple books by some philosophers and theologians, but to know God as your father, to, to know Jesus as your brother, that's a different level of thing. And that's the invitation of the gospel. So that's, that's kind of a nice thought, right? God wants a relationship with me. But if you think about it, it's also a terrifying thought. God wants to know me. I mean, I don't even want you people to know me, honestly. <laughs> you know, because to, to know somebody involves a level of, uh, of personal exposure, a level of intimacy, a level of of allowing someone into your life. And the problem is, you know, you can hide things from your parents, you can hide things from your siblings, you can hide things from your friends. Maybe if you're careful, you can hide things from your roommates. But to hide things from God, that's a little more difficult. And that's the main reason we run away from God is because he already knows about us. And that's terrifying. In Genesis chapter 3, it talks about man's original falling out with God and Adam, you know, the story, he ate the apple and then rather than being able to be in communion with God, he decided to hide from God. Remember that story? All of a sudden he didn't want to have a conversation with God that night. He's like, you know, we're, I'm, uh, I'm going for a walk instead. And, and it says that God came into the garden and God went looking for Adam and he said, where are you? And Adam answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and so I hid. And that, my friends, is the universal human condition to this day. We might want a relationship with God, but we're afraid to be exposed, and so we hide from him. We avoid God because we don't want everything we have to be exposed to him. But the amazing thing about God, this is what's really amazing. You know, we, we, we try to uh, present a brave front to the world. and We try to keep our, keep our act together so that some people will at least have conversations with us and hang out with us a little bit, even if they're not going to get to know us at a too deep of a level. But here's the thing, because we're, terif- we're terrified that if someone did actually know us, they really wouldn't want necessarily to have a relationship with us. But the thing about God is he knows everything about you and he loves you completely at the same time. He knows us 100% and he wants 
a relationship with us. You know, you might be pretty sure that nobody in this world would want a relationship with you if they really knew your struggles, if they really knew your issues, if they really knew your shortcomings. But God himself wanted a, wants a relationship with us so much that he entered into our vulnerability. He became human on the first Christmas and, and, and be, was born into this world. He entered into the struggle. He dealt with temptation and hostility. He had, he had a dysfunctional family. He had unfaithful friends. He was subject to, sub, subject to the world uh, injustice and unfairness in this world. He even entered into our sin and entered into our failure. He became sin that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So he did all that. The story of Jesus is a story of what God was willing to do so that he could have a relationship with you. The whole mission of Jesus was to find a way to restore God's relationship with you so that you could do what Jeremiah says and boast in this, that you know God. And, and that's the challenge, because the, the silly thing about all of us is for some reason, all of us are so desperate to stand on our own, so desperate to be autonomous, so desperate to be self-sufficient, that we'd rather boast in our riches, we'd rather boast in our, in our wisdom, we'd rather boast in our power. But God says, why don't you just accept my grace and accept my love and simply boast in me and look to Jesus. Because see, in Jesus we see the immortal becoming mortal so that we can live forever. We see the all-powerful one becoming weak so we can know what true strength is. And we see the righteous one becoming sin so that in him we might find ultimate righteousness. This is the promise that the gospel offers to all of us, regardless of how unknowable, regardless of how discouraging and depressing and frustrating our life will be if we just trust in him. You know, some of us, we might never be strong or powerful. We might never be wise or brilliant. We might never attain real wealth and success, but we can attain something that's even more. If we discover what it means to know that we're children of God, sons and daughters of the living God, that Jesus is our brother, and that he gave his life and his heart for us. Galatians 6 gives us the alternative approach when he says, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. May we become people who recognize that that is the only boast that we need. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ, for his generosity to us. When we had nothing left to boast about, he invites us to rest in him, to trust in him, to cling to him. Help us to let go of all those other things so that we might hold on to him. We pray in his holy name. Amen.